the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah, his oldest son, and they held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money, and they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. Now, finally, this happened. All of the elders of Israel at Ramah uh, came to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old. Like, that's a great way to start a conversation. How's it going? Nice to meet you. Just so you know, you're old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. And so Samuel was displeased with their request and he went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed their own gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask. But do this, warn them about the way that a king is going to rule over them. And so he goes on to begin to, to warn the people. Like, listen, if you, have, if you get what you want, understand that this king is going to take the best of your crops. He's going to take your young women and he's going to make them cook for him. He's going to make them make perfumes for him. All of your choice cattle, he is going to take for himself. This is the kind of king that you're going to have. And then they respond in verse 19. It says this, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. We want what we want. We want to be like all of the nations around us. We want to fit in. We want our king, and he will judge us, and he will lead us into battle. So Samuel replied to the Lord and told uh, what the people had said, and the Lord replied, give them what they want. Give them a king. And Samuel agreed, and he sent the people home. Now the next part is this, uh, Saul comes on the scene. It says this, uh, there was this man, Saul, and verse 2, and he, he was handsome. He was the most handsome guy in all of Israel. He was kind of like Alan Stanley, most handsome guy. Like the, you know, he's just a good-looking dude, you know? He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Now, one day, Kirish, which is Saul's dad, he had these donkeys, and they strayed away. So he told Saul, listen, take a servant with you and go and look for these donkeys, so Saul took the donkeys, and they go, and they start traveling throughout the land. And then verse 5, it says, look, they can't find the donkeys. Finally, Saul says, listen, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than the donkeys. But then the servant said this, listen, I just thought of something. There's this man of God who lives in this town, and, and he is held in high honor by all of the people because everything he says comes true. Let's find him, and then he could tell us which way to go. Uh, but we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone, and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, listen, I still have one small silver piece. I've been holding out on you, buddy. At least we could offer this to the man, and we could just see 
what happens. And so they go and they look for the man of God. It's actually talking about Samuel. In those days, uh, the prophets were called seers. So they go and they're looking, and the Lord speaks to Samuel. And when Samuel sees Saul coming, this is what happens in verse 17. That's the man I told you about. He is the one that's going to rule my people. Just then, as Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? And to which Samuel replies, listen, I am the seer. Now go up ahead of me to the place and worship. Uh, We will eat there together. And in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know. Like, catch that. We're going to eat together. We're going to have a meal. But in the morning, I'm going to tell you what you want to know, and then I'll send you on your way. And then, listen, don't worry about those donkeys. That they were lost three days ago. You've been looking for these donkeys for three days. For they've been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. I'm just looking for some donkeys. What? And all of a sudden, Samuel tells him, listen, I'm just letting you know that you are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. And I don't, anytime a man becomes the focus of your hope, you're in trouble. He's like, dude, I'm just out here taking a stroll, looking for some donkeys. And you're going to tell me I, as the focus of all of Israel's hope, y'all better, anytime like a person, a government, an institution, a pastor, a leader, if they come the focus of your hope, your focus is in the wrong place. Amen. So let's back up. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. So uh, Samuel is in this place where he has grown old. And if you remember who Samuel is, like he's been dedicated to the Lord. He's grown up. He's judging Israel. Uh, Eli was before him, and Eli grew up in this house under this priest. And now Samuel, it says, did this. He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. So Samuel makes a big mistake here. Because he's, he's good, he's righteous, he's a good judge, but then he takes his sons and he puts his sons in a place of power, but his sons didn't have any character. His sons were ruling, they had this greed for money, it said they were accepting bribes and they were perverting justice. Now this is interesting because he's following in the footsteps of the man whose house he was raised in. Because Eli had this same problem. Eli was a good priest. He loved the Lord. He, he, man, he did all of these great and amazing things, but he had a problem, and he wasn't disciplining his kids. And because he wasn't disciplining his kids, his kids grew up to be all just, just, just crazy, and it's, it's a long story. We talked about it a few weeks ago. But now you have Samuel doing exactly the same thing. He's judging all of Israel correctly, but he has yet to judge his own family. And it's kind of a little bit of that joke of, like, it's the mechanic whose car is always broken, you know? It's the cleaner whose house is always dirty. It's the pastor whose kids are the craziest kids in the entire church. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know my kids. And and we kind of joke about it, but it's something kind of sad, right? It's this idea that, like, Eli... Uh, he didn't raise his sons right, and, and now Samuel has done th- with this with his cu- kids, and there's this lack of discipline. And you say all of this because as parents, we know that, that, that listen, y- it doesn't necessarily mean that Samuel did a bad job as a parent. You, you can do all of the right things, and your kids are still going to grow up and make choices the way they want to make choices, right? You, you could be raised in just a perfect home in the perfect environment, Parents that love Jesus and do everything right, and kids can still go, go astray. 
And the opposite is true. Kids can be raised in just the worst home environments where parents are just, just incredibly horrible parents, and the kids grow up to just be these amazing, amazing kids, right? And so it's not this kind of thing of like, oh, bad parenting. But what it is is this reality that, listen, he knew his son's character and the decisions that were he were making, and he still appointed them to be judges. So he put his family above God. There's a, a famous, I say famous is probably not the right word, a well-known uh, pastor named John Piper. If you don't know I mean, the guy is just brilliant, brilliant theologian, well-known uh, just in the Christian community, and the guy knows his stuff. But he, what, what you might not know, he's ha- he has a son that's an atheist. And, you know, and John did everything. He raised his son in this Christian household. I mean, he's leading thousands and thousands of people to the Lord, doing all these things. And yet he has this son that's very outspoken against his father to the point where he has his own YouTube channel and it's everything against his dad. And he's in this house. And, and, and there was even a big thing like, well, John Piper, can you be a pastor because of your son? And all of these things. And, and there's this reality that, that kids will make their own choices but when, what John Piper didn't do is promote his son to a place of authority. What John Piper didn't do is like, listen, you're my son and I love you, but you got to understand as long as you're living this life, and like, there's no way that I'm going to put you in a place where you could rule over people and have an authority because, listen, God first. I think we, like, biblically, we can look at the Bible and realize, like, number one priority in your life is Jesus, now, as Christians, we could start fighting about number two and number three and number four and, and how you, but biblically, number one, God above everything, above everything. God above my marriage, above my kids, above my church, above all this. God above my call. God above my call. When God has called you, what God has called you to do will not run contrary to who God has called you to be. What God has called you to do will not run contrary to who God has called you to be. In other words, if you have to compromise who God has called you to be in order that for you could do something for God, even if it's really good, you've missed it. You've missed it. And see, I just see this so often. People are like, we're trying to do good, but I just got to make this one little compromise in order to do all this good. No, no, no. What God has called you to do will not run contrary to who God has called you to be because he's called you to be righteous. He's called you to be holy. He's called you to be set apart. He's called you to be a man and a woman of conviction. And I think one of the best stories, and I don't want to get too far into it because we're going to talk about this in the future, but you have, you have Saul and you have David and you have this king that uh, Saul has actually literally run David out of the kingdom. And he's throwing spears at him and they find themselves in this cave. And David easily could have killed Saul. David easily could have done it. As a matter of fact, everyone was trying to encourage David to do it. Just look, the Lord has put him in your hands. Like if ever was a time to take the kingdom, it's now. And to which David said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Because if this is the way I have to get the kingship, I don't want it. Even though the Lord's called me to it. Even though it's what I'm like, if if God's going to do it, no, God's going to make a way. Because I'm not going to do it in my own strength. Because who God's called me to be is more important than what God's called me to do. God above all, and just to be a person, just of character, of the character of Christ. And so you have this mistake that's been made by Samuel. He's a good guy, but he's made a big mistake. 
and, and he's followed. It's kind of what he's seen done. And then you have an even bigger mistake that's made by the elders of Israel. These are, the, these are the men and the women that are leading Israel, and they make this even bigger mistake when they come to him and they say, listen, we see something's wrong. We see something's wrong here. This is what we want you to do. We want you to give us a king. Now, this is a pivotal moment in history because on the surface, it doesn't look like it's much because if we get a king, we'll just look like everybody else and everyone else is doing it. But this is a huge moment for Israel, and they, they, they've just rejected God I said, what we want is a king. We want to look like everybody else around us. What is it that there's this desire within us to fit in, right? It's kind of like sixth grade middle school. It's like you just want to fit in. You want to blend in. You want to be like everybody else. But they got the new iPhone, but, but, they, but she got a new dress, and they, and they got a new car. And, and we got, well, well I just, I don't, I don't, we just want to fit in. We want to be like everybody else. I remember when we started this church, it was really like the first five years. I found myself trying to be a pastor, and I was miserable, just absolutely miserable, trying to be like, well, I think this is how a pastor is supposed to act. And these are people that they look a certain way. So I think I'll just try to be like them. And like, it's just horrible failure at being an imitation of someone else. And so just finally getting like, you know what? I don't want to be like everybody else. And what I found myself in those first few years is I was losing myself. I was losing myself to this idea of just wanting to fit in. Give us a king. Give us a king. Because we know best. We know best. Like, don't, like, let's be honest. You think you're right. You do. You think you're right. And not only do you think that you're right, you think you're the exception to the rule. You do. Let's be honest here. Well, I know that happened to everyone else. And I know when they did that, she had that. But I'm different. I'm special. special. No, you're not. You're not special. Welcome to church. I, I know you think, but listen, I'm going to buy a Windows computer, and it's not going to get a virus. It's going to. It's going to blow up on you in the last minute. You should have bought a Mac. I'm telling you, you're not special. That Windows com computer will die. And my, right, right, right now, my kids are trying to convince me that they will take care of a dog. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no child in all of human history that has taken care of an animal, but dad, we will. And I'm like, well, let me tell you about this dog that you want. This dog is going to chew up your favorite shoes, daughter. This dog's going to drool all over you. This dog's going to need baths. This dog's going to, you know, you're going to have to take him to get some shots. This dog's going to do little messes on the floor. And guess who's going to clean it up? You're going to, and dad, will do it. No, you will not. But we want what we want, Daddy. I just want a puppy, and they're just so cute, and we just want a king, and he's just so cute. He'll fight all our battles for us. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. We think, we just think that we're special. And the fact is, listen, Paul says it like this, like, and even in my weakness, he's made strong. He's like, listen, there's nothing. I'm the least of these. I'm the least of these. There comes a point where I think you have to embrace, listen, you have to embrace the grace 
to not have it your way. Man, there is a grace in that. There is a grace in not getting what I want. There is a, there is a grace in, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you did not answer those prayers. You know that girl you dated in high school? Oh, she's the one. And then you see her 20 years later. Thank you, Lord, she wasn't the one. Good Lord, that girl went crazy. She is just, whoo, you saw her on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about, you know? Some of y'all ladies, that man, oh, he was so cute when he was 22. And now you're like, oh, Lord. You just go home and say thank you to your husband. Like, oh, man, thank you. Thank the Lord he didn't answer that prayer. Come on, somebody. The Lord gives them all of these warning signs, and yet, man, they still want it. They want what they want. I can tell you how many times I've had meetings with people, and it'll start like this. They're at, they say that they're asking for advice, but they're not asking for advice. What they're really asking for is permission. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard from those people. You've been those people because you just want someone to affirm your bad decision. If I could just find somebody that tells me that this is a good idea, I'll feel okay. You know it's a bad idea. And so you come to your pastor and you say, Pastor, what about we did this? No, it's a stupid idea. And then you do it anyway, and you wonder. Right? Let's be honest, because we want what we want. The Lord tells him, this is what a king's going to do to you. He's going to do all of these things, but we still want it. We still want it. Like, within each one of us is this innate ability to be complete idiots. Every one of us, you know? And that's why I love the Bible, because, like, we could try to fake it. But the Bible tells us the real story. Paul tells us, listen, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, 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 I do, then I don't do those things. And I, I'm just like, oh, this guy, and I just love it. I mean, he's very clear. I'm just like, man, I, I, I can be an idiot because I know what to do, and I can still want what I want. And there's sometimes I just look, and I just want to tell people, listen, you're ruining your testimony. Because you're so just gripping on to your own ideology and your own politics and your own preferences rather than that of the king and his kingdom. Because you've decided what you know what's best and you, you want what you want. And I, I just, there's these times in my marriage where me and Devin will get in a fight and I just think, I'm right. And here's the thing, like one in 57 times I am. And in those moments, it's like there's something on the inside that's like, yes, I'm right. But then there's 10 seconds later after I've won the fight that I feel like this isn't the person I want to be. I don't want to be this man. Even if I am right, I want to serve my wife. I want to be better than this. And then I wait like 20 minutes and apologize. It takes 20 minutes at minimal with me. Like it's... Can we just be honest, you know? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, I just stay up all night and just, (laughs) it's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Oh, that was good. That was quick. Anyway, all right. I think the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get it your way. Because his ways are not our ways. But even so, we want a king. And God says, give them what they want. Give them what they want. And so Saul appears on the scene. 
And he is the natural choice. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. We have his family tree here. He comes from a family that's very high regarded in the community. He's handsome. But here's one thing that we learn really quick about Saul. He is horrible at finding donkeys. (laughs) Now, across the street from me, right down the road, we have a neighbor. and He actually has a couple donkeys. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, they're not, like, the hardest animal to track. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could hear them from a mile away. <laughs> like, we'll walk outside of the house, and this one donkey just, he has this amazing noise. <laughs> and my wife will just start laughing, and I know she's laughing at the donkey. It's like, it's just awesome. And there's donkeys, and I'm thinking, like, you live in a desert, dude. How hard, and like, there's multiple donkeys. How hard could they be to find? You got me and Tim Carter sitting up in a tree stand for two hours, like not moving because a deer could be there. Tim's like, don't blink. Don't blink. And the donkeys are just, (laughs) and Saul and his buddy can't find them. Their tracking skills are just rubbish. And they say, they finally get to the point, it's been three days looking for these donkeys. And they find, hey, I got an idea. There's a prophet. There's a seer. There's someone that we need to go and talk to. Maybe he could tell us where these donkeys are. And to which Saul responds like this, but we don't have anything to give. We, we, don't, we don't have any more food. We don't have any more money. We don't have anything to give. And I read this, and I thought to myself, I think this is a big reason why people stay away from church. Because they think they have to have something to give. And the truth is, God says, yeah, I know you're broke, and I know you're busted, and I know your shame, and I know your guilt, and I know your, I know your sin. I know you can't even track down a donkey in the desert, but come. Come, all of you who are hungry and thirsty, come and drink and partake. I, 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 I know the fact is you're even more broke than you think you are. You don't have to come with anything. As a matter of fact, it's best if you come with this realization that you have nothing Because the truth is, it's not the missing donkey you're looking for, it's me. It's not the missing donkey you're looking for. See, somebody in the room this morning, you came here and you're looking for answers. You've been searching for joy and you've been searching for peace and you've been searching for happiness and you're trying to find it and you're trying to find it. It seems like everybody else has found it, but you just can't seem to find it. And I'm telling you, the thing that you're really looking for is Jesus. Because all of those other things are a byproduct. Whenever I have Jesus, kind of like how Pastor Chris was saying this morning, when I have Jesus, listen, then I find myself in a place of joy. Then I find a peace that passes all understandings, even whenever my circumstances don't change. See, but whenever my pursuit of happiness and happiness becomes the end goal, I find that I lose everything. Whenever these, anything else that we put above God, anything else we find that to be the pursuit of our life, I'm telling you, the outworking is we lose it all. But when you look and you search and you find for Jesus and you find him, you found it all. He is the pearl of great price. And he's searching and he's searching I think we live in a culture that is content with searching for donkeys. We're content with searching for things that we think will bring us joy. We're searching for things that we think will even make our Father happy. And he has this 
encounter with Samuel. It's a very interesting encounter because he, he, Samuel says, listen, um, uh, we're going to dine tonight, but in the morning I'm going to tell you what you want to know and I'll send you on your way. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about the donkeys. I know you've been looking for them for three days, but they've been found. Now, this is interesting because he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what you want to know, and then he tells them what he thinks he wants to know. Because what Saul wants to know is, well, where's my donkeys? And what Samuel is wise enough to know is, like, that's not the real question. That's not the question that your soul is looking for. So you think you're just looking for these donkeys, but let me go ahead and let me just tell you, those have been found already. That, that, that's not even the thing that your soul is crying for. But I'm going to answer questions that you haven't even thought to ask yet. And there's this realization of Saul, just, whoa. There's what I want from God, and, and there's these questions that I have for God, and then there's the real question. I remember just growing up, and my mom could tell you, one of the big questions I remember having was just, where did God come from? Like, in my mind, I just couldn't put it together. Like, I, I understood, and my mind just works in such a way of, like, no, there's, there's a beginning and there's an end. And so, like, God had to have a beginning. And so I was like, whenever I get to heaven, the first question I'm going to ask is, God, where did you come from? And, and I remember just, like, holding on to that question because I was just, that whole, he just was, wasn't doing it for me. But, but that wasn't the real question. As years of my life have gone by, the real question that I was asking is, God, can you be trusted? And I still find myself asking that every day. And so do you. Every time you have the choice of either to put it back in your hands and take control or to give it to him. God, can, can you be trusted? I believe that you are. I believe that you're real. But can, can I trust you? These are the questions that my soul is longing for. Some of us have been searching for the donkey year after year, marriage after marriage, job after job, church after church, move after move, adventure after adventure, vacation after vacation. But it's not the thing that your soul is longing for. Some of us have been living for God, but like Samuel, and like the elders, and like the people, we've made some really bad decisions. And we've allowed our focus to get on a person rather than Jesus. And he's just simply saying, return to your first love. Return. Seek first the kingdom of God. But still some of us say, just give us a king. Just give us what we want. We want what we want, and we don't care what the price is. And I'm here to say, just maybe it's time that we let God be the king again. Maybe it's time that we allow him to have rule and reign in our heart. And stop chasing the things of this world and stop trying to fit in so much. But Saul says this one thing. That if anything that he says, he nailed this one. He said, listen, we've been looking for so long that by now my father is more worried about us than the donkey. And I'm telling you this morning, some of you have been searching for so long. But listen, 
at this point, your Father in heaven is more worried about you. Like, no, that my son and my daughter would come home. If he would just come home, you would see all of those things will be added unto you. Just come home. I'm asking everyone to stand to their feet. Maybe there's something that you've been chasing. Maybe there's something that you've made some really bad decisions. You've chosen to put things above God. You've even allowed your call to outpace your character. And if anything we've learned in these last two years should be to slow down. God is so much more concerned with the work that he is doing in you than the work he's going to do through you. I'm asking you to bow your head to close your eyes. Because I know, even if I'm telling you, there is a work of God that he's trying to do in his people in this day and in this time and in this hour. There is a work of God that he's trying to do in you. And, And I know there's all these things that you want to do for him. But if you'll just let him work in you, And he'll prepare a place for you so that way when you get to that thing that your heart's longing for, you'll be able to handle it. And it won't handle you. Because one of the worst things that could happen is for you to get what you want and not be able to have the character to hold on to it. And so, Lord God, just as your people, as your church, we repent. We repent for being just like those elders who just say, well, we want what we want. We ask forgiveness for putting our preference, for putting our ideology, our ways of doing things, our politics, our desires above your kingship. And we just invite you again to come and rule and reign in this heart, in this life, in this marriage as a parent, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, as a pastor, as an employee, as a boss. Come, Lord Jesus.